in all of the scriptures, you won't find uh, a more eloquent uh, and profound uh, description of the Christian experience in God than Psalm 91. And I'm going to focus on these fundamentals of faith tonight. There will be nothing esoteric here, nothing that you don't already know, probably. Uh, my goal this evening is entirely pastoral, uh, not examining the, the, the fruits and the blossoms of our Christian faith, but to making sure that the roots uh, are pressed down into the stream that produces those fruits and blossoms in our Christian life. And that's the, one of the challenges I find of the Christian life, is uh, making sure that I have the fundamentals. The message of Psalm 91 could also be summarized in the words of the prophet Isaiah. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind has stayed upon the Lord. That's Isaiah 26, verse 3. Another picture that I could use to tell you what I want to make sure that you go home with tonight is the picture that comes from the three men cast into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And then there was a fourth person and they were brought out and it was said of them that there was no hair on their head singed, there was no gar- or thread on their garments uh, touched and there was no smell of smoke upon them. That, that the devil's representative on earth did all that it possibly could to destroy these three young men who decided to put all of their confidence in God and God delivered them. That's, that's the same message that is in this psalm. And those give me tremendous comfort. I'm also challenged by Proverbs 24.10 that says, If our faint, if our if our strength fails in adversity, how little is our strength? And the challenge that there is to find a place of dwelling in God that gives us strength, so that in times of adversity we would not fail. In the first few verses of of this psalm, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. I don't know that there's a more efficient way in all of the the scriptures to, to grasp all that is proclaimed to us in the gospel. To pick up this idea that the psalmist gives here in the first two verses of the of the person dwelling in God. Do you, do you, do you grasp what, what is proclaimed in there and how efficiently, in, in just a small little couple of verses, how efficiently it proclaims all of the, the wonderful truth that is ours to know in Christ and in the gospel. And it puts in our heads a certain perception of God. See, the way that we perceive God is so absolutely critical. I wonder if I say the word God, what image first comes into your mind? And I wonder if it has anything to do with the image that is presented in Psalm 91 of us finding in God God a refuge and a fortress that is unassailable, that is almighty. I wonder if that image is in your head. It, it, it's such a significant image. 
It was so important for me in, in the beginning of my, my own Christian journey. And in, in, when, when, that, when I thought of God, what, what image comes into my head? How, how do I imagine God? And, and let's be honest, we, we have to use our imagination to think about God. But to have an imagination that is informed by the Scriptures, the revelation of God. It, it's an incredible perception of God that, that is given to us in these verses. That God not only permits us to dwell in Him, that, that in itself is amazing. That God would, would permit us to dwell in Him. That He would, that he would take these, these, these arrogant, rebellious, hell-deserving people and permit us to approach Him with confidence and say, not only will I believe in God, but I will dwell in God. Not only does God permit that, but He desires it. Do you you, you see the perception of God that that I'm after? A God that that not only permits, but a God that that desires us to dwell in Him. And so here's what I want you to take home tonight. That there is for, for every Christian for every believer, a place of refuge and a fortress. And I believe those words signify both comfort and safety. And we need that in this world. The sense of comfort, a sense of safety that can only come from dwelling in God. And it's to be experienced through the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God helping us to grasp hold of this by faith. Grasping hold of the divine perfections, grasping hold of the divine goodness. Three simple things I want to show you from the text, that there is something in this psalm that is, that is wonderfully personal, there's something that is profoundly experiential, and there, most importantly, must be something here for us that is messianic. And what I mean by messianic is that we have to get to Christ. We have to, in this text, we have to, find a way uh, to get to our Lord. So, three things. Personal, experiential, and messianic. First of all, personal. I wish somebody had told me this 30 years ago. That the Psalms are the prayer language of God's people. Do you have a prayer language? I have a prayer language. And the reason that I read the Psalms is because it gives me the language that I believe that God intends me to use to pray to Him. And so I read through the Psalms. And I use the Psalms as the vocabulary that I believe that God has given to me in order to pray to Him and to pray correctly the way that He intends me to pray to Him with my mind. It is my prayer language. And there is something incredibly personal about coming to Psalm 91 and praying, the Lord is my refuge. You see, that, that, that wouldn't just come into your head if you just went out on, on, on your back steps sometimes and say, oh, I'm going to pray to God. This vocabulary, this language wouldn't necessarily come into your mind and it, it's so important for us to take advantage of this, of this, this treasure 
of the vocabulary and the language that God has given us to pray to him. Fortress. Refuge. And the question that we're forced to ask when we pray this way is, first of all, focused on that word, my. The Lord is my refuge and my fortress. The question isn't, do you believe God is a refuge? The question isn't, do you believe God can be a fortress? The question is, is God your fortress? Is God your refuge? And it's an important question for, for at least a couple of reasons. Number one is, it, is it, it's a, declo- a disclosure of our heart. It's, it's a discovery of our heart to, to, to pray this way. It's deeply convicting to pray, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my fortress. There, there, there's something that, that, that's discovery in nature going on in our heart when we pray that way. And it's a disclosure of what's, what's really going on in our heart. And it forces us to stop and say, Really? Well, what about, what about these other refugee, refuges? What about these other places where I find security and identity and strength? There's something exclusive about this that the psalmist also says in Psalm 16, 2, that I have no good apart from you. But it's not only a disclosure of the heart, it's also a declaration of the heart. To, it, it's a declaration of faith. What? It, it, God is my refuge. God is my fortress. There's, there's not only a disclosure of the heart that is deeply personal, but there's also a declaration of the heart that is, that is deeply personal, that, that my God is a refuge. My God is faithful. My God is good. My, my God is strong. He is my refuge. God is honored when this is the declaration of our heart. That little bit of little phrase that Christians use all the time that, that, that's, that says that it is our calling to, to glorify God. And if that's Christianese to you, let me, let me explain to you what it means. It, it means simply this. It means to say that God is my refuge. That brings glory to God. It's a declaration of our heart that says, my God is capable of keeping me safe. My God is great. My God is strong. My God has shown himself to be unassailable. He is almighty. That brings honor to him as we make our our way in this world. He is glorified in that. But there's, there's, as I said earlier, and I'm repeating myself, I'll say it again. We have to understand the gospel to be able to say that. Do you, do you, do you get how, how much our, our perception of God has to be informed by the wonderful truths of the gospel in order to make this declaration with confidence and faith? God is my refuge. Something profoundly 
and wonderfully personal, but also, secondly, experiential. It's not a theory of possibility. It is the reality of experience. And you know, sometimes I just stop and I ask myself, is this my experience right now? In, in whatever things in life I'm, I'm going through, whatever I f- feel is uh, assailing me in my faith, my hope, and my peace. And I think about this. That this, this just isn't nice theology. This isn't just in the realm of possibility that, that, that the psalmist is, is pointing to the reality of a real Christian experience and finding in God a real refuge in the midst of the real challenges of life. And, and I would say that not only is it experiential, but it is a necessary experience. It is a necessary experience. And I say that for, for at least a couple of reasons. Number one is that, that this calling to, to dwell in God and to find in God our refuge and our fortress, it is the means by which God uses to help us to persevere in this world. I hope you understand that. Are you persevering? In all of the challenges and all of the difficulties and all of the things that, that would, would, would assail you in this world, that, that would assault your hope, would assault your faith, would assault your peace and all of the, the things that you, you hold dear, are you persevering in them? You say, well, what does that mean? It, it, it means exactly this. This is the means by which God uses to cause us to persevere that we would find in Him a refuge and a fortress. There is, there is no other means of persevering. See, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely it's a work of the Holy Spirit. See, it's a work of grace. Absolutely it's a work of grace. But this is the instrument of the Spirit. This is the instrument of God's grace to enable us to endure and to persevere and to overcome. I love the words of all the prayers in the scriptures. One of my absolute favorite is the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where he says to the Ephesians, he says, I, I get on my knees and I bow to the Father and I talk to God about you. And I, and, and, and I, just, I just love this prayer because Paul has so much to say about living the practical Christian life. He has, he has so much insight on, on all the, the, the fruit of, of Christian life and, and what obedience looks like and what discipleship looks like. And then when he gets down on his knees and he prays to God for the Ephesian church, you know what he says? He says, I pray that you would be filled with the fullness of God in Christ. What kind of prayer is that? It, 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 it's a prayer where Paul understands that the, the, the instrument that, and the means that God uses, that all of that fruit would continue in our life, is that we continue to be grasping hold of God and His goodness and His perfection, that we dwell in Him. So necessary that, that this be experiential for us. It's not only necessary because God uses it to enable us to persevere, but it's also necessary because God is the only safe place to be in this world. 
It is so necessary for, for us to experience God as our refuge and our fortress. Because He's the only safe place to be. What assails us is more powerful than us. What declares itself to be our enemy is far greater than our own abilities and our own strength. And God is the only safe place to be. And the, the rest of the psalm, I, I, I hope that as I read through the rest of the psalm that some of you were thinking, what in the world? What, what am I supposed to do with all of this? Like how do I, <laughs> all this stuff about pestilence and arrows and adders and snakes and, and lions and, and, and fowlers and, and wings and stuff like that. What, what am I supposed to do with all of that? And that, that, that's exactly the point of, of this text is, is all of the rest of the text is, is, is an exposition. of all of the things that God keeps His people safe from. This is the reason that you need to be in Me. I am the only safe place to be in the midst of all of the things that you face in this world. I am the only safe place for you. And this psalm, probably written by Moses, it's not declared to specifically to be, uh, um, to, to be written by Moses, but a lot of people think it was. Psalm 90 is uh, said specifically to be... Uh, by Moses, and the psalm is very similar in, in content, and in in the the nature of the things that it, that it talks about, it, it dealing with the story of the exodus of, of God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness, across the desert, all of the dangers that were there, and in the midst of it, God with them, keeping them safe by fire during the night, by cloud during the day. But it, it, it's important because when we say, oh, God is my dwelling place, God is my, God is my fortress, it, 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 just saying it doesn't really mean much unless we, we know what we're saying, unless we, 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 we know what, it, what it's all about. And, and, and the rest of the psalm goes on to de- describe all of these events that are going on in the life of Israel, saying, this is the reason you need a fortress. These are the things against which you need a refuge. And that's the historical root of the text. All of the pestilence that came upon Egypt, God distinguished between the Egyptians and his people. Though 10,000 of them fell, not one of God's people fell. Though the, the angel of death came and destroyed the firstborn of all of the Egyptians, that pestilence, that plague could not touch any one of God's people through all of their journeys in the desert with all of the, all of the things that were there, whether they be wild animals or, or, or whatever, and the arrows that would rain down upon them by the nations that they had to go through in order to get to the place God was taking them, God was there keeping them safe. And, and at, at, at the center of it is this little image. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. That's a reference to the altar in the tabernacle. 
It's a reference to Exodus chapter 24, where God instructed Moses to build in the Holy of Holies a cherubim with these wings that would, that would span and cover the, literally physically cover and shadow the high priest as he was standing there in the mercy seat. And it was a picture that, that in the midst of, of all of the things that God's people will go through, that, that, that there was God's anointed one there in his presence, in the safety of God's presence. The summary of, of all that, that the psalm says about God's safety is that God's people are safe from all evil all the time. That is to be our experience. But that begs the question, still, I think, what does it look like in my daily life? What does it look like to find God as my refuge and my strength? What is the substance of it? And how does one access it? All of the confidence, all of the safety, all of the things that the psalmist talks about in this psalm. And if there's one word that is most important to have in order to understand this psalm properly and to bring it into our life correctly, it is the word messianic. The devil helped us with that in Luke chapter 4. He understood that this psalm was talking about the Lord's anointed and the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, as he quoted from this psalm. But it's important in all of the scriptures, but particularly in this scripture also, to get to Christ. And it's important when you read the psalms that you not just read them and, and, and do use them as your prayer language, but understand that, that it, it's not simply about you simply downloading something from God for, for, for you to access outside of Christ. That all of the promises that, that God gives to us, all of the, the ways that God speaks to us, all of the ways that God declares Himself to be true to us are first of all, true in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we experience all that God has for us. And so the text isn't first and foremost about you. The text is first and foremost about our Lord. And the way that I pray this psalm is not merely, Lord, I pray that you would keep me from the pestilence. I pray that you would keep me from the snare of the fowler. I pray you would keep me in, under your wings and refuge and all of those. I, the way that I pray this psalm is, Lord, thank you. There is one in this world who walked in such a way that he made you his refuge and you kept him safe from the pestilence, that you kept him safe from the fowler's snare, that you kept him safe 
from the arrows that fly. You kept him safe from the terrors by night. And I pray that you would put me in him. This is significant. This is important because it helps us to, to access the, the, the truths. It helps us to access what God is promising to us in a way that we actually experience the reality of it in our own lives. I, I used to pray this psalm differently. And I've tried to understand what is promised in this psalm literally, materially. as some sort of super bubble that God would, would put around me, protect me, not let anything happen to me, not let any affliction come into my life, not let any difficulty or problems come into my life. And, and the irony of it, in, in all of this focus on, Lord, I'm going I'm to take this and I'm going to put it into to daily life. I'm going to believe it. It's going to be real in my life. But the irony, it is it caused me to descend into a faith that actually had really very little connection to real life. And I don't want a faith that makes me to live in denial. I want a faith that is for real life. Many people use this text the same way that the devil used it tempt Jesus. Surely God does not want you to suffer. Surely God doesn't want that to happen to you. And, and Jesus rebuked the devil. And Jesus entered into affliction. He entered into suffering, knowing the whole time that he was safe in his heavenly Father from all evil. And all of those events of the Exodus, all of the things that God's people experienced, all of, all of the, the, the historical stories of the Exodus, all of them themselves were intended to be pointers to something that would happen in the new Exodus. Something that would not celebrate our destruction, uh, God's destruction of Pharaoh, but something that would dis- celebrate the destruction of what Pharaoh represented on earth, and that is Satan. And all of the plagues and the pestilence that God kept His people safe from, all of those were were intended as pointers. All of the Scriptures point to Christ. And it keeps us in Christ safe from the real pestilence, from the real disease that can not only put our body in the grave, but can put our soul in hell. And it is the pestilence of sin. The power of sin to both deceive us and to overwhelm us. Those are the plagues and the arrows that can destroy not just our bodies, but they can destroy our soul. The lion and the snake are words that are used in several places here. They're both used in the rest of the scripture to describe the devil. The lion being something bold and strong and and powerful. The snake being something silent and deceitful and cunning. And the power to deceive is also how the devil, it says, will be revealed in the last days. In Revelation chapter 20, he will come and he will deceive the nations. 
I've been thinking a lot about this phrase. A couple of phrases in this passage, actually. One is the snare of the fowler. The fowler's snare is an instrument of deception. It's an instrument of entrapment. And I think of how often in my own life how I need to be saved, find a refuge in a fortress from the deception and the power of the devil to deceive to ensnare me like a fowler's snare. Like when I say I'm too busy to pray. Deceived. When I think that a lie is in my best interest. Deceived. When I think that I'm justified to slander a brother or sister. I think of if I could just purchase something that I will finally then be happy. Deceived. And I realize what a refuge I need, what a fortress I need, and what a wonderful refuge and fortress Christ is that I can flee to Him say, Oh Lord, You be my refuge. You be my strength. I am no... I am no strength for the snare of the fowler. The other phrase that has got my attention through the years in this psalm is verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You know the difference between night and day? There are places you would go in the daytime that you would never go at night. And so also in in the text, there there, there seems to be a, a difference between the thing that is described in the day and the thing that in the night in the day you'll be safe from the arrows and there's, there's something objective about arrows. There, there, there's just something you know, material about arrows. You put your shield up and they, they, they hit the shield and it's just the way you go through the day, right? You deal with stuff objectively. And the word that it is described for the night is completely different. Terror. And there is something about the nighttime that loses all objectivity. Described very aptly, very fitly by the word terror. There are places we should not go at night. And what a wonderful experience it is for the Christian to be able to, again, to fly to Christ. And say, keep me safe from the things that terrorize me. Be my fortress, be my comfort. In Christ. Finally, let me leave this thought with you. It's a thought that came into my head this week.
And it comes from the words of Jesus in John 14. Where Jesus says this, I'm sure you're familiar with these words. Jesus says this, do not be afraid. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go there to prepare a place for you in order that you might be with me. It's a wonderful verse. It's a wonderful promise. And I've always thought of it about heaven, speaking of the eternal promise. And I believe that it does, in fact, very much so speak about heaven. But in, in reading this psalm and meditating on this psalm and, 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 and looking at this, this, this place of, of the cherubim, this place of the mercy seat where God's people were to flee to, to find in God a refuge and a strength, I wonder if I can't also take the words of John 14 and apply them to my life now that place where God, where Christ has gone before me now and understanding the message of Hebrews that he has given me an access into the most holy place where I can flee, where I can go and God to be my refuge and strength. A dwelling place. Yes, in eternity, but also a dwelling place now. God is my refuge and my fortress, our dwelling.